Welcome to Cars on Call. I am Steve Schutz. I'm here along with co-hosts, trauma surgeon Stefan Moran and Adam Hudson. Uh, Stefan, how are you? You're you're back in Alabama. What what are you up to? Well, I'm actually in Birmingham. You know, it's the mobile studio for me, and I'm in Andrew Clark's office in Birmingham. One of our former guests and Ellen and I are going to a supper club tonight. So Andrew was kind enough to come and open up his office. Cause, you know, I don't have internet at home, so <laughs> always a mobile studio. <laughs> and Adams, uh, you're you have some light. I finally do have some light. I've stepped out of the darkness into the light. So here I am. Yeah, I, I changed locations. My wife's out of town. So I actually got to go to the, 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 the main part of the house where it's like public and I can act like I actually belong here. I'm saying that light coming from behind you reminds me of the OR. Hey, could you just open your mouth, Adams, to let the light through? We tell the uh, when we're operating with the interns, they'd have the light on the back of the head. I'm like, just open up your mouth so I can get some light into the case here. <laughs> Well, my, my skull could be translucent. I don't know. You might see some things. Well, we've got a special guest who we'll introduce uh, soon. Um, but uh, we got a, a few pieces of news. And, you know, guys, we talked muscle cars recently. And uh, we did cover, uh, I don't know, maybe three, four, five, six months ago, uh, that the, the, the Dodge Challenger and Dodge Charger were going to be uh, phased out. Uh, well, it seems like it's 1972 all over again, because not only are those two going to be phased out, but they're going out with a bang. Uh, there is a Challenger Dodge Demon 170. Uh, I'll give you guys some numbers. This, these are shocking numbers talking about going out with a bang. 1,025 horsepower, zero to 60 in 1.66 seconds, a quarter mile in less than nine seconds at 151 miles an hour. Uh, the price tag is going to be $98,261. And anyone who thinks they can buy one for less than $100,000 is nuts. Adams, you are a muscle car expert. Does this make you happy or sad or both? Well, um, I'm going to go with the both part because, you know, we we all saw the original performance era, what people would have called the original, you know, the the coming and going of the uh, of the muscle car uh, back in the late 60s to early 70s and then it kind of went out with a with the decent bang of you know horsepower wars peaked about 1970 as most of us know but back then you know you're talking about a 435 horse corvette or rated at that and a 425 horse uh, chrysler hemi and that was kind of the end of the line and now we're talking about like the opening ante for anything you call good power now is 500 horsepower, you know, and you see now this Dodge has got twice that and it's just unbelievable, you know, and I, I found it, I, I've, I've never seen a zero to 60 times start with a one. I mean, <laughs> good gosh. And it's a 0.66. I'm sure if they ran it up to the three decimals, it would be a 0.666. Uh, befitting of the demon, which you know that <laughs> that car ought to come with the with the free exorcism. Um, but you know that it, we 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 look at this, and, and Steve, you you touched on it. This is really like you said, going out with a bang. This is like a nuclear strike. Uh, this is Dodge's ending crescendo. To me, I'm not saying it's ending tomorrow. It'll it'll fade on out. It'll be like we had in the early 70s. It'll be stripe packages and appearance options and things like that. But this is kind of the, the end of it. And so those of you who think horsepower wars will never end, um, I would say we are um, we're at it. 
Well, it's, this thing is so cool. But, you know, Do- the Dodge brothers, John Francis and Horace, must be um, very happy about this, that Dodge is going out just with a monster, monster car. But for um, a little trivia here, do you know, you know, the 1,025 horsepower is only when it runs on E85. And do you guys know why E85 adds 20% horsepower in internal combustion engine? Two oh, things. Yeah. One is it uh, has higher octane. And second thing, it cools. So, you know, the enemy of internal combustion engine has always been heat. It's an exothermic reaction burning the gasoline. And the hotter gasoline gets, it doesn't burn as well. The fire is not as evenly distributed. So the ethanol keeps it running cooler. And, you know, that's why they have ethanol injection. And um, we'll get uh, Gino a little bit later, talk about his days in drag racing with the NRHA. But um, I think this thing is so cool. It's it's ridiculously fast. And um, I, I mean, I just, I would love to have a ride in one of these things. And uh, but I think for any Dodge fan out there, I'm sure Doug Wellborn and Alex City with the Wellborn collection, he has to have, he's going to have to get one of these in his collection. Yeah, I'm sure he will. It's uh, absolutely incredible. And uh, one thing I find interesting, you know, Stefan, when we talked about uh, the muscle car era, you made the point that it probably uh, really began with the 1964 uh, Pontiac GTO, and it ended, we all know, pretty abruptly, 1972. That's eight years. Well, guess what? The Dodge Challenger in its current iteration, which we all know is based on an old E-Class Mercedes, um, it was launched in 2008. So you're talking 15 years. So we had a we had a better run. You know, I did forget to mention one thing. You know, the one thing that didn't does make this uh, Dodge go fast are corn subsidies. You know, so it's the ethanol 85, and that is a much better use of high fructose current corn syrup than American making America fat and diabetic. So I'm really <laughs> glad. Amen. Yeah. yeah. So what a great use for it. Yeah. All right. We we're gonna move on, but um, I'm I just do you know? Can you say anything about this uh, thousand horsepower? <laughs> and by the way, they they make the point just like they did with the demon that it was banned by the NHRA, which, as you know, is a, is a gimmick. But yeah. just before we we're going to talk to you in depth later, but you must have some thoughts. I think um, I'm glad I'm not in product planning at any of the major auto manufacturers these days. It is the most difficult job that maybe uh i, I don't know i i i'd become a schizophrenic if i was in there trying to uh to to decide which way we're going to go short term long term gas powered we're going to rely on evs oh we got to do this we got to do that we got to hit this price point I, I i'm just glad i'm not a product planner i think some of these products that we're seeing come out right now you know the from from dodge um uh, you know the Cadillac, uh, the Black Wings that were they're coming out now. Another fabulous uh, iteration of of horsepower and you know a, a luxury muscle car to a certain degree. Um, you know I I think it's fabulous. I think these cars are awesome. I think they're they're not high volume cars. Obviously, they're for a very uh, small targeted audience. And they are incredible cars. I, I think um, we're looking, gosh, uh, Ford just came out um, recently and, and had a product announcement about, you know, another vehicle that's that's uh, going to find its its 
end of its line soon. And, um, you know, I, I, I look at it with very mixed emotions. Yeah. Maybe it's good in one respect, but, um, I, I still think that, that people buy cars primarily because of their emotional attachment to that car. It's not a, uh, it's not a, 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 an objective decision why they buy a car. Otherwise, everybody would be buying the most vanilla kind of vehicle just to transport them from point A to point B. And, <clears throat> you know, manufacturers have to make sure that whatever the power plant, that there's got to be emotion tied to it. There has to be character. There has to be a personality to it. Uh, there has to be a reason for me as a consumer to spend a lot of money on a depreciating asset. And uh, that's, that's challenging. It's not going to be easy. No, I think uh, the personality of this car is uh, uh, a hell's angel on crack. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's, a good it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And, and of course, uh, you know, as Stefan alluded to this, these are destined to be uh, put away regrettably and not driven. They're going to be collector's items. And, I think they're going to end up selling for, you know, two, three, four hundred thousand dollars at the end of the line. This is the best one, which is kind of a shame. But moving on, um, guys, uh, you know, Stefan, you've talked a lot about what we call the what you call the Teslification of the auto industry. And um, I keep seeing more and more examples. Of course, we've talked about a bunch, but I saw one recently, and this uh, also touches on Gino too, and we'll introduce him soon. But um, in Alpharetta, Georgia, there is a basically a mini Mercedes showroom called RBM of Alpharetta. And basically you don't buy a car there. You go in and you talk to people and you look at a configurator of videos. Uh, I think there's actually uh, some driving opportunities as well, but you're supposed to just walk in, no pressure, no salespeople, and just talk about the car. Um, I've been to Alpharetta, Georgia, and there is a Tesla uh showroom which is very similar it's a small thing there's not a lot of cars you just talk to people stefan more teslificationally now this time it's mercedes you know i watched the video of this new store and the the choice of words was interesting to me it called said brand ambassadors a small format experience lifestyle collection the mb experience store and i think it is absolutely the teslification of the automotive industry, this next generation, like everything they do, they're going to go straight to their phone. They're going to see what the Yelp review is, whether or not they're going to eat at restaurant A, B, C, or D. It's going to take them 40 minutes, then they're probably going to end up at A. And I think people are buying their cars. Tesla showed that you can sell a car over your phone. Easy. People like it that way. They know what they want. They order it. It shows up at the door. Um you know, I never, you know, Steve-O and I talked about this on our previous shows. We had, we did not have a good experience at a Mercedes-Benz dealership when we thought we were way cool back in our residency. We thought we'd walk in and talk to the guy about the cars, go for a test drive. And they looked at us like, get out of here, you jokers. So I think it's a, I think it's a good, I think it's good for the brand. I think it will bring probably more people if it's a low pressure area. And it's kind of like the experience I had at Polestar at Laguna Beach nice quiet cool place walk in there they got a couple cars the guys are all laid back uh millennials and um you know what do you they show me the computer thing then we go out for a drive in a car and then you know if you want the car you order what you want i think it's i think it's great um it's going to be hard to get people what they want i think 
you gotta go to the lot and you see an exact car like i'll take that one it's an emotional experience but i think they're modifying for the next generation of car buyers is uh we are the largest generation of baby boomers but dude we're on our way out unfortunately <laughs> not yet but <laughs> the next consumers you know look at rolls royce the age group for average purchase for rolls royce i think i read is down to like something like 40 years old it's in the um, or 45 yeah. um yeah, for 40. the average rolls royce who would have guessed that um so it, that's that not is the, goodness that I, I, is I, the I group that's got say... the money the dot-com money I thought you were going to say the average age of a, a Rolls Royce owner was deceased. <laughs> I had no, no it's, it's, I'm, gl it's, I'm glad they have a little, little youthful relevance. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting to see this and, and Steph, you, you, you should get credit for the Teslafication of, because that is exactly what's going on here. And I can remember the first time I was, I was in, I, I, I think in San Francisco and I, of course you see Tesla's all over every, every intersection and every, you know, in the city on the interstate and we drove into a parking lot and I saw um, a Tesla dealership. I saw a sign for Tesla and I thought, actually, what is that? I mean, I thought it was a Kinko's. It's just not, <laughs> it wasn't a car lot. You know, I got old think it was not a car lot. It's exactly what you say. It's sort of like, a, you know, it, I, I, th I think we can thank uh, Steve Jobs and Apple to a degree for that as well. Uh, going in and, and, and custom building a computer, you know, they may or may not have it there. But, you know, Porsche operates largely on a custom order basis and Ferrari almost exclusively operates on a custom order basis. And when you look at these huge lots, you know, just as a business case, uh, you know, not not sadly losing the options uh, on the lot. But as a business case, you see in these these big cities, acres and acres, dozens of acres of automobiles lined up door handle to door handle on these huge asphalt lots. And most any dealer will tell you, and I'm sure Gino will confirm this, that the real money is made in the service department. And that's, you know, they don't make as much on, on, on the front end of the new car. And so they've got all this money spent, all this property tax to pay, all the holding cost and carrying cost of that huge inventory and all the bank notes out there on unsold vehicles, by the way. I think it almost makes sense as a business case to reduce that to the bare minimum. I mean, who needs 30 silver E-classes sitting out there? Yeah, amen. Um, we're going to see more of this. And uh, Stefan, you should probably trademark that name because uh, more and more Teslification. Um, Elon um, Musk is the last person I want coming after me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, maybe you get a free trip to Mars out of it. So, yeah, uh, one way, a one-way ticket. Yeah, one way, yeah. Uh, he'll, he'll take you halfway and drop you off. <laughs> so um, anyway, uh, speaking of Teslification, uh, this is cool. We have a, a wonderful guest. Uh, I'm thrilled to introduce Gino Effler from JD Power. And uh, before Stefan gives a, a, his real introduction, let me just say that I met Gino about 15 years ago at Western Automotive Journalists, and we just uh, started talking. And he, at that time, was with Mercedes, and he's done other jobs that I'll talk about since then. But um at one point we were talking and I said, Hey, uh, I know this trauma surgeon who likes to lecture about car safety. He's actually doing research in car safety. And then uh, Gino and Mercedes invited him out, um, invited Stefan out for a couple uh, lectures. And I remember I went to one of them. It was very well received uh, and he did a few of them. So um, that was really cool. And it was cool to see those two connect. So Stefan, uh, go and introduce our, our very, very special guest, Gino Epler.
Yeah, I'm super psyched to have Gino on. We had some uh, great times back in the early 2000s. Good to see you again, Gino. Good to see you, Stevon. But at the time, I was doing research at um, University of Alabama at the Mercedes-Benz Crash Injury Research Investigating Network, um, Research and Engineering Network. Um, and we did we're doing automotive research. And Steve-O told Gino about me. And Gino gave me a call and said, hey, you know, would you like to come speak at some automotive groups? And I said, absolutely. So the first one we did together was WAJ, um, which is a Western automotive journalist that you mentioned. And I went out there in November of 2002. And, and uh, you know, Gino, did, we talk in with all the um, different journalists. And I start my presentation. And I'm a couple slides in and I hear, oh, that's blood. <laughs> <laughs> so poor Gino, I'd forgotten. I, I had a slide that had some blood on it. I can't remember exactly which slide, but Gino turned ashen and pails of blood came from his body. So from then on, I made sure that I'd either warn Gino to cover his eyes or I did not use the word blood. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the, the highlight of probably my um, speaking career, um, Gino had me speak at the Motor Press Guild in August of 2003. That was fabulous. I met the great Pete Lyons, who did the auto newsletter and sent me pictures. And then we did the Phoenix Area Press Association in December 2003. And then um, I left UAB in 2004. And then 2009, Gino uh, gave me a call and took me to the New York Auto Show because he was at the, with Volvo at the time. And we did the history of the seatbelt video, which is on YouTube. And I spoke at Motor Trend Radio. So we had a great time um, spreading the word of automotive research. And I really enjoyed having that platform. So, Gino, welcome to Cars on Call, um, where I still get to speak a little bit about car safety when, we're, when we have time at the end. But it's been a wonderful time. And uh, well, welcome to the show. Thanks, Stefan. It's, uh, it's great to be here. You know, I've, I've had uh, a long career in public relations. Um, and, and those years at Mercedes-Benz were a lot of fun. Uh, and when I found out that the the company was connected to that crash research um, initiative, I was like, "Wow, this is fascinating stuff that that not only media would like, but obviously their readership. It's important stuff to know." And and I still, to this day, <clears throat> uh, quote things that you said in those presentations. And the one that 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 I remember the most, we were talking about airbags and how airbags can help save lives or save in, you know prevent some injuries uh but as you said the brain in a collision the brain is still slamming against the skull so there's an internal injury there that you always have to be conscious of and and that has resonated with me and i still think about that today when anybody talks about vehicle safety and uh so yeah it was it was a great time it was a great topic to work on you know, I've had the uh, the pleasure of uh, of working with a lot of great car companies. Uh, they weren't great at the time, or one of them wasn't great at the time. But I launched Kia in the U.S. when it was wow. still very, very small, and uh, but it has grown to become a fabulous brand. Uh, I, I spent a number of years at Mercedes Benz, and then Aston Martin, and then uh, a good long time with Volvo doing PR and then as you mentioned a couple of seasons at the NHRA uh, the National Hot Rod Association you know professional drag racing which was a lot of fun and and uh, you know and then got hooked up with uh, with JD Power and 
you know, I, I oversee all the PR for JD Power from not only the automotive side, but the non-automotive stuff that we're involved in, all of the major industries that uh, that that we we monitor, so to speak, with the level of satisfaction for customers, everything in the from wealth management, banking, insurance, uh, utilities, healthcare, you name it, uh, we're we're involved in it. So uh, automotive is still probably closest to my heart. And uh, it's great to be here chatting with you guys today. And I'll, I'll be happy to jump in and give some perspective on uh, on not only some car stuff, but uh, car sales stuff, because we, we do a lot of monitoring when it comes to, to car sales, both new and used. Yeah, I, I, uh, I read about uh, J.D. Power with the car sales part, you know, automotive news and Wall Street Journal in particular. And it's usually usually uh, your colleague Tyson Jomini who gets all the the print. So, yes, he um, does. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I find that interesting. And, and, you know, we all remember, we're all old enough to remember when JD power was Dave power and basically one guy, and he sent out uh, these customer satisfaction uh, surveys and they became hugely influ influential. I remember um, it became a critical part of the automotive uh, landscape in the 1980s. And of course the narrative became uh, Japan and mostly Toyota Lexus make the most trouble-free cars and they retain their value, but they are reliable. And uh, now um, we've come so far and I know other industries are involved, uh, Gino, as, as you'll, I'm sure, talk about, but in the automotive sector, uh, we've really moved past um, just simple reliability, moved on to other metrics that are so important. Uh, retaining value is one of them. But we're going into a huge change, um, changing uh, the powertrain and going to BEVs primarily, uh, either hybrids. But we're going to an era where the internal combustion engine is going to say goodbye, uh, sadly for all of us. How does that big change um, affect you? As How does it affect JD Power? How do you think it's going to affect customers? Well, <clears throat> it's going to affect all of those audiences, it's going to affect manufacturers, it's going to affect JD Power, it's going to affect customers, and, and it's not going to be a smooth ride. It is going to be incredibly bumpy. And it already all, is. Yeah, well, it's going to get bumpier. Uh, you know, keep keep your hands and, and arms uh, or your arms and legs inside of the of the vehicle at all times during this ride uh, is kind of the, the overarching message. It's it's there is no easy path. And I think in many respects, whether it's the government, whether it's the, you know, the regulators, whether it's the manufacturers, some critics feel that they're pushing too fast or they're setting deadlines that are too soon and they're not like letting the natural course of um, uh, the supply and demand or consumer interest drive the marketplace. And you know it's 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 going to be difficult. We already see now again right now EVs account for a very small very small percentage of new vehicle sales, about maybe five percent in rough terms. That the growth of EV sales is dramatically outpacing the growth of public charging units. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that in itself. <laughs> should be somewhat 
scary to people who are buying EVs or want to buy an EV if if the public charging is their option. You know, not everybody can have a home charger because not everybody lives in a home. They live in apartments. Uh, they live in a high rise. And, and maybe the garage in that high rise doesn't have enough chargers to go around or wh whatever the case may be. Yeah, they have people are going to have to look for options to charge. And, you know, one of our recent studies on public charging stations showed that 25 in 25 percent of the cases, when people went to use a public charging station, it was inoperable. Well, you know, Jack Roush, I'm, I've, I've told this quote multiple times again, but I asked Jack Roush about BEVs. He's, his famous quote, and I've said this multiple times, the last thing you want to be do, doing is foraging for electricity. That's right. And you just very well brought that up once again. And we, you know, my brother gives me a hard time because we beat up on BVs. No, we're just talking about the reality of the landscape right now of BVs. I'm not, we, I love them. I've driven two of them, but they're luxury vehicles for people that can afford to have a home charging station or one at work. And, but they don't go on road trips and thing. Mm -hmm. You stay within your limits of your mileage. Otherwise you find yourself forging for electricity, getting frustrated, showing up at, well, I didn't know, realize 25% of the places don't even work. Jeez. Yeah. It's, that's scary. And, and it might not work because uh, it, it could, it could even be the, uh, the place, the part that you stick your credit card in, uh, you know, that that might not be operational. It's not necessarily the charger, but if you can't pay for that charge by having it accept your credit card or your debit card, it won't work. And that's that's an issue. That's a big issue. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think the I don't think gas powered cars are going away soon. Uh, they may be in several decades, but it's going to be a long time before we see them go away totally because, you know, we got to get. EVs have to be affordable. The, the energy costs have to be affordable, commensurate with where gas prices were. And, uh, you know, in order for, to get everybody to, to change over and, and make it worthwhile, because not everybody is in that, uh, in that category, that demographic where they can afford a luxury car. You know, there, there, there are people out there who just buy used cars because that's all they can afford. So, Gas stations are going to be around for quite a while. You know, Jenna, you mentioned that JD Power is moving away, not move, has expanded beyond the auto industry. Mm -hmm. Is that market driven, or do you, does JD Power see that perhaps we need to move away because that lion's share of is changing with the EV marketplace, or is it just the company getting bigger and taking it's in more just, business? It's the way the company grew. Uh, you know, for the first twenty years from 68 to about 88 or so, the company was just focused on the automotive industry. And, and the reputation that we developed in, ter in terms of research science and uh, being able to interpret consumer data, consumer insights was applicable, it was transferable basically from an automotive customer to a bank customer or to uh, a utility customer or a healthcare, you know, uh, customer, or uh, you know, anything like that. So, um, it our, our what we call our global 
um, business intelligence side, the non-automotive side is, has really exploded in the last, you know, 30 plus years. And uh, we just started a, two years ago, an EV practice. So we do a number of EV studies now and uh, on EV ownership experience, EV home charging, public charging, we do an EV consideration study, which is to me the most fascinating part, the uh, most fascinating annual study. And then we also just launched the JD Power EV index. So every month, um, and this is a product for OEMs, basically every month we measure basically the, the mindset of consumers when it comes to EVs in terms of uh, affordability, uh, adoption, uh, cost of ownership, everything that goes into EVs. So when there's new models coming into the mix, we can take that new data and and we put out an EV index score in the in, in overall uh, on a 100 point scale. Right now it's about 49, and that in that scale or what that EV index is supposed to measure is where the EV world is in comparison to gas powered vehicles. Right. That's that's the uh, the transition are how close are we with EVs in getting to that point where gas powered vehicles are now in terms of affordability, in terms of adoption, uh, cost of ownership, uh, you know, the, the, the range of vehicles that that, that uh, you know, consumers have to choose from and. Uh, you know, it, it goes up and down. Each of the factors go up and down that make up that overall index, but that index still is kind of just stays around that 48, 49, 50 number. And it's going to have to move a lot before we're at the point where uh, we're going to see a lot more EV sales. And I think it's important for OEMs to know what's going on with the JD Power EV index because they can see where the pain points are with customers or people who are potential customers and then how they can address their communications because that's one of the biggest issues that I think OEMs face is communicating the pluses or minuses of EV ownership and what it means uh, to, to own an EV you know it's a it's a different step the first time you buy an EV it's like wait, wait a minute I gotta have a, a charging unit what what is that where do I plug that in now, you know, what's that going to cost me? What's the utility going to charge me each month? I don't know. I know what I'm exactly what I'm paying for when I go get a tank of gas. But, you know, the utility rates, are those going up or down? Time of day I charge. It's just There's a lot of education with consumers. And so we're going to play a part in that working with those OEMs. Hey, Gino, how do you think that's evolved? Um, you know, we all are social and we talk to people and as being car people, people always ask all of us about cars. And uh, I remember five to 10 years ago, uh, it was mostly Tesla people at cocktail parties were talking about how great it was. You never go to a, a, a gasoline filling station again. It's fantastic. It's great. But uh, there was never any conversation about the reality. And in advertisements on TV or on the internet, there's no uh, discussion of the negatives. And that is, uh, you know, just a few the range declines if the weather's cold. Um, and then, of course, uh, you may not be able to find a charger. If you find a charger, it may be a slow charger. So it's three hours instead of 30 minutes. These are all things that we've all run into. 
Right. So there's been more of an evolution and the consumer is being educated either from their friends or a cocktail parties or whatever. It's not all great. Um, how much evolution have you seen? And is this something that the smart people know and, and the average person who doesn't talk cars doesn't really know? Yeah, I, there's been some evolution there, Steve. I, I think um, one of the key things that we saw early on is that that Tesla owners were very much, uh, they were obviously very affluent because those cars are not cheap. And they were incredibly forgiving of cars that typically, comparatively speaking, have poor build quality. That they would they would overlook those quality issues. Say, yeah, oh, that's okay. I still have, I still have the coolest car on the block, even if it has orange peel paint. Even the fit, even if the fit and finish is not good, even if you know early on, if I had to get a a, a technology update, it would wipe out all the memory that I'd already put into the car. They have since fixed that number of issues that they were just very willing to forgive. And so when it came to the quality study like JD Power, they were at the bottom. In the appeal study, basically a study about asking people what they liked about their car, they were at the top. So I now I think as more manufacturers have more offerings in the EV space, I, I think there now is is more competition. You're seeing much more consideration uh, for those others, shall we say, the the legacy manufacturers rather than Tesla. Tesla is still very strong in in terms of consideration and uh, and appeal, but there are more options, and I think people are going to be shopping a lot more and expecting a lot more. And early on, the people that owned a Tesla. The Tesla wasn't their only car. They had other cars. So if there was a, a an issue with it and Tesla sent the flatbed to come and get the car, they had other cars to drive. Uh, as we get into the more affordable, the mass market world, and if, if Tesla or other manufacturers have EVs, they have a, a very good service network set up. I think that's a lot more... Um, that we say it's deeper than than Tesla's service network. Uh, and so, you know, Tesla's got, I think they've got some challenges, but they also are still way ahead of the game when it comes to their charging network. You know, they are way above everybody else in terms of their charging network. And that's such a advantage for them. And that's a key selling point for them. Well, you know, you know that, like you said, uh, one one of the big fears of EVs is range, right? The fear of running out. You know, Gino, you have been been involved in so many facets of the automobile industry, and it's interesting to hear you talk about the specifics and who's moving what blocks of information where. And just even here, it's almost like the Tesla folks were willing to be the beta testers, uh, like we used to consider with software hardware back in the you know, the advent of computers, and even now with the changes of computers. Either the early the early phones, you know, the first adopters of the phone just think yeah. it's cool because they're the first people with the phone. And on on a bigger level, like on a ten thousand foot level, you know, since um, since uh, JD Power is just you know moving glacial blocks of information back and forth, 
And like one of those things might have been when NADA, and I know NADA and uh, J.D. Power have a very close relationship, even recently swapping uh, presidents. Um, <laughs> but, you know, back, back in maybe 2013 to 15, uh, when uh, NADA was publishing the price guides, uh, I, I know the then uh, chairman, uh, friend of mine, Forrest McConnell, uh, decided that NADA didn't need to be in the publishing business. And so they got with J.D. Power and obviously sold that block of information off. And that changed the landscape a bit uh, for NADA and for J.D. So now that um, like in 2019, J.D. Power uh, was bought by tech investor Toma, Toma Bravo. Toma Bravo, and, yep. And since usually companies are like bought because something's undervalued or there's a hidden asset or maybe there's a huge uh, coming tsunami of change that either the current owner's not willing to take on, but the new owner would be. What are some things that you've seen change at J.D. Power uh, since the days of McGraw-Hill? It's a great question. I, I, it's, uh, and I came on board right when McGraw-Hill was selling J.D. Power to XIO, which was a private equity firm. And uh, the, the focus on not on a votive has been big because there's a lot more business opportunity, I think, outside of automotive. Uh, a lot of investment in AI and becoming a, a true leader in data and analytics. Uh, not just, you know, we're not a market research company. You know, we may have been 30, 40 years ago, uh, but now it's all about data and analytics and how fast we can get that data and how fast we can analyze it for the businesses that, contract with us, you know, so that they can make better products or services. Um, it, I've seen dramatic changes in, in our company in the last seven years, and not only through that change philosophically, but through some mergers and acquisitions. Um, you know, we, we have acquired a number of companies that are involved in the automotive industry uh, Zappy Ride is very much involved in the EV world, uh, helping to, to I'll say in, in, in one simple way, we are helping to drill down in various areas where uh, we can tell a, a used car what exactly is on that used car, what kinds of features and accessories are on that particular used car so that when a dealer wants to buy it or sell it or a, a bank or a lender wants to know how much to uh you know it's worth uh we are we are at a stage in very simple terms we're at a stage where we're helping those transactions uh, go a lot quicker a lot smoother and a lot more accurately financially to help everybody save money or make money Gotcha. You know, I can speak to that specifically. I, I, I swap cars every now and then, and it used to be you'd have to tell a dealer or the person wanting to buy it exactly the options that were on it because the, the VIN number and the coding for that VIN were strictly the domain of the manufacturer. Right. They can decode their own, but nobody else can. Now all a dealer who's trading in your car, all they want to know is the VIN number. They'll, right. tell you, they'll tell you and sometimes <laughs> the owner exactly what was on that car when it was delivered new and to the penny what it cost new. That's right. And, and that's, you know, that's such an advantage. So that's, we, we are, when we ha get a, uh, have a relationship with a manufacturer and they share that VIN information with us, then it can, through the, the software programs that we help support that dealers use, 
you know, it can help their dealer body. It can help a consumer as well. Um, it's just providing more transparency to the industry, which I think leads to people being a lot more comfortable with the purchase price or the sale price. They have a better relationship with their retailer. Uh, and, and I think that's all good. Uh, one other thing I wanted to add, Adams, you mentioned about how dealers, you know, make a lot of their money now on, on service, uh, the back end, and not so much on the new car sales. That's, yeah, that's been true. But up until about two years ago, now the leading source of their income is used vehicle sales. What, what's happened in margins the market is, is, is nutty. I mean, wow. we, there's never been anything like it. And, uh, you know, most people who lease a car, they look at the buyout and it never used to be very good compared to what, you know, the car's value was after. But now you can keep, you look at your end lease and let's say the payments, uh, the buyout's 44000 and you look at at the value of it and it's like, what, 56000 So if I buy this car at the end of the lease, I'm gonna, I can sell it and make $12,000. It's like, this is wacky. You know, we just haven't seen that in the marketplace, but it's happening. And it's 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 the real Wild West, so to speak. You know, it's well, a it's, different time. It's wacky with the deadline. That Those <laughs> days will change. Uh, they probably will, yes. Yeah. Well, you know, you said... The time you, being, you, it's not like those used vehicles are going to just crater. They're not. They're, they're kind of plateauing and maybe coming down a little bit, but they're still higher right now than they were pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you know, I think the, the least penetration we've seen in the last year has gone from like 23 to 17%. So of all the new vehicle sales, uh, 23% of them, you know, a year or two ago was about 23% of new vehicle sales were leases. Now it's down to 17%. So it's an interesting time in this business. Yes, you know, Gina, when you said used cars, I thought you were going to say uh, their new, number one new profit source has been attempted subscription services because... I have just beat the shit out of General Motors for their OnStar, <laughs> BMW, Audi, BMW for the heated seats. Did, did, did you guys look at that? I mean, to, the consumers were immediately outraged. Has, have you guys at JD Power looked at subscription service modeling for these dealer for um, OEMs? You know, I, I don't know how much work we've done in, for them. Um, with subscription services. I don't necessarily think so, but I know Tyson Jomini, who is, he's our vice president of data analytics and knows everything there is to know about every data point on new car, new vehicle sales, used vehicle sales, uh, who buys what, where they buy it, all that kind of stuff. You know, he has that data at his fingertips and, and he is not a fan of subscription programs because there's just, there's so many holes. And like, how do you, um, how do you set a residual value for that vehicle? You know, after, a, a, you know, after a subscription or how do you set the price? Because that price is usually connected to, let's say a lease price and incentives. And we're at a stage now where incentive, manufacturer incentives are at the, one of the lowest points ever. I mean, it's just, they're so small. He's not necessarily a fan of subscription services. Um, you know, I, I, I think because he's a data guy and he, 
there, there's way too many questions. There's more questions than there are answers from his perspective. So how do software updates over the air on, you know, we talked about testification once yeah. again, it, you know, with over the air software updates on cars. I mean, yeah, you, so you get in a used car that's not updated, but they want to charge you for the update. What do you think the future is for that? <laughs> I mean, that to me is something, I mean. Yeah, I, I think uh, this is just me speaking. Uh, not, well, not, you have a little bit of experience. So I do yeah. value your opinion. I, I would say, <laughs> I, I think that to a certain degree, it's going to, to take the path of, let's say, recalls. The government is going to get involved. The Department of Transportation is going to get involved in some way, shape, or form. And like a safety recall, you know, the consumer is not required to pay for that recall. The recalls are free. You know, the, the manufacturer pays for them um, and pays the dealer to, to do that work. I think if there's any kind of a, um, you know, a fix like that, uh, an update, I just don't see how manufacturers, I think if it's challenged, manufacturers would lose that but somebody there's going to be enough consumer pushback to where um, all those software updates will be done for free you know it's it's kind of cool like you know i drive a cadillac right now and and it's kind of cool when you know it tells me that hey you know we have an update it's only going to take like two minutes you know make sure your car's outside or whatever it is and boom i think that's pretty cool when that happens but um I think they it wouldn't should. be cool if you had to pay for it. No, it wouldn't <laughs> Every be cool. They, no. no, not but, at all. But, you know, you bring up the point. I think it's really it's going to be really it's going to be come to the forefront as we move into higher tech automatic driver assistance systems. You know, yes. as we move from level one to two, three, all the way up to autonomous driving, the government needs to be on top of this and in charge of this and, and say, no, that, you know, the car either has it or it doesn't. But once you're in it, you can't, they can't charge you for an update because it, now it has become, it is a safety item. Right. You know? um, so it'd be very yeah, interesting. That's kind of where I, I personally, Stefan, that's where I see it going. And, yeah, so do I. you know, one of the big issues has always been about, I know historically on recalls about when you sell a car and it has recalls, um, outstanding recalls on that vehicle you know, does that dealer have to perform them before that car can be sold? And right now the answer is no, unless there's a particular emissions recall that's required. They're only required to do the emissions recall, not the safety recall. Oh, that's crazy. That, that makes crazy. no sense. All, all in favor of that, don't raise your hand. <laughs> Um, you, you know, you mentioned earlier, and I thought it was a great phrase when you said you would hate to be in product planning right now. And Lord knows you've been, you know, when you were with the different manufacturers with Kia, Aston Martin, Volvo, et cetera, you were in a lot of product planning meetings because you said it would, you would just be schizophrenic. You're talking about a thousand horsepower car on one side, and then you've got the environmentalist and the carbon footprint on the other side who are waving the, the EV flag. Uh, when you see this and you kind of said, you know, um, you guys are, you, you've probably got secondhand schizophrenia from working in the data that you do because you're still trying to figure out the landscape. So do you see this 
de-evolution of the ice cars going, I guess we could call it the end of the ice age. Do you see that in the coming of EVs, BEVs as a good thing or a bad thing? For JD Power, it, it's going to be a good thing because everybody is going to be turning to us to help them find answers. Yeah. Whether it's the manufacturers or whether it's, you know, we, I think we're, uh, uh, we've got some interest even from uh, the federal government uh, wanting to know more about the EV index, which can help them figure out and make decisions where to be putting some of these public charging stations or where to be investing that money to put in the infrastructure sooner rather than later. You know, where are the, where are the places that they need to be first? Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that that comes to fruition, but yeah, it's, it's uh, from our perspective, I think we're very well positioned to help out these uh, these manufacturers and and to make the right product planning decisions and the market share decisions, the manufacturing decisions. Uh, we can even help determine and supply them with data on on where particular kinds of vehicles are going to sell faster. Uh, so I think there's a lot of things where we can help and and the same on the consumer side. I, it's uh, yeah, it's it's. Our, our president of our global automotive division, uh, he's come from uh, some manufacturers and was the, he was the head of manufacturing and, and product quality at, uh, uh, at Daimler Chrysler or Stellantis or, you know, whatever the, but one of those names was at the time. And he's, he's had a lot of experience. He, uh, uh, a tremendously bright man, and uh, I think he is is helping to position us and and can talk the the manufacturing talk to the OEMs because that's where the real challenge is going to be when they you know making these cars. How many should they plan to make? Where are they going to make them? How easy is it going to be to transition a plant from manufacturing an ICE vehicle to an electric vehicle? You know, the complexity of vehicle manufacturing is unbelievable. It really is. It's, it's um, you know, I, I, there, there are thousands of moving parts in a, in, a, in a car, and there's not many moving parts in an iPhone. So comparatively speaking, it's much harder to make a, a vehicle than it is to make an iPhone, I think. And uh, mm -hmm. uh, the complexity and, and the transition and where where the consumer's mindset is, the kind of vehicles they want. It's man, it's uh, it's think of the the plate spinner on the old uh, uh, Ed Sullivan show. You know the guy who had the sticks and right. the plate spinning and running around, and and that's that's what manufacturers <laughs> yeah. are doing, trying to keep all those plates spinning. Well, Gino, I'm I'm gonna put you partly on the spot here as we sort of, right. sort of come come around the last lap here. You know, you had mentioned before that you felt like, and I hope I'm not putting words in your mouth, that you felt like it might have been a little bit too much too soon for the whole coming advent of EVs versus the public's readiness scale, if however you measure that. And you mentioned the index being in the 4950 range, which I guess just means we're about halfway there for whatever other perspective to kind of dumb it down. Mm -hmm. If you could be the czar of all automobile production right now, would you tell them to kind of cool it 
until the infrastructure and the supply of the core materials for batteries, et cetera, catch up? Remember the movie, The Graduate? I oh, see yes. the, the guy kept coming. Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> I do got, remember that. Yeah. I've got one word for you, Ben. Plastics. Plastics. <laughs> right? Well, yeah. my, my one word, I've got one word for you, Adams. Hybrids. Oh, okay. That's that's we're, where we're with you. That's where I think all the manufacturers should really have been going. I mean, yeah. and making a strong push to go, yeah, okay, everything's gonna be a hybrid. We're gonna go all hybrid before, and you know, you want to have one or two full EVs or BEVs over here? Okay, great. Uh, but hybrids, I, we just did an event, uh, you you kind of referenced it, um, co-hosted an event, the Auto Summit at the NADA convention in Dallas a couple months ago. And we had one of the top executives of Toyota on the stage with us. And our Doug Betts, a gentleman I was referring to, our president of global automotive at J.D. Power, was interviewing him and he said, they were talking about BEVs and they were talking about hybrids and the Toyota executive said look if I had a handful of let's say it took a handful of lithium to make one battery electric vehicle do you know how many hybrids I could make with that same amount of lithium and the answer was seven wow wow so they can make seven hybrids with the same amount of lithium that they could make or put into one EV. And also basically negate the need for a charging station because you're driving the charging station. Yes. Yes. So, it, you know. I'm with I, you, I'm I, with you I, Ben. I'm not an engineer, but I, I've been around the industry for a while and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm an intermediate skier, let's say. I'm, I'm, maybe I'm not the black diamond skier, but I'm an intermediate guy. And I, I look at it and I go, why, aren't, why isn't everybody just going hybrids? Hybrid, 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 hybrid. I mean, uh, hybrid, the whole point is how do we recuperate the lost energy braking in a vehicle? And mm-hmm. and BVs do a good job of that. And hybrids do that where internal combustion engines don't. And I think that's recuperating heat loss in the energy and braking. They don't weigh as much. They're not as dangerous. There's not versus other vehicles when you've got vehicle mismatch and a collision, you know, 8,000 pound BEV versus a 5,000 pound hybrid versus a 4,000 pound ice car. So in my stand, from my standpoint, it's just win-win with the hybrids. And yeah, I mean, I, I would love, I mean, I would have no problem owning a hybrid. Um, yeah. Same here. And, yeah. and it makes sense. Yeah. So anyway, that's my two cents and that's about all it's worth is two cents. No, your experience. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's great advice. Um, it's such a big, big change. And for most people, you know, I've got a lot of employees in my business, and most of them uh, drive, you know, like an eight year old Honda CRV or RAV4 or something. And, you know, the average age of the fleet, as you know, in the United States, the average car is 11 years old, right? So to go for this, this, you know, this moonshot, uh, with without intermediate steps, um, it just does seem like it's uh, a bridge too far and it's too hard to do just all at once. And I like, yeah. I like your word. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't expect a, a, a reference to the graduate today, Gino. <laughs> I'll not think about that line uh, anyway, but that way from here on out. 
There One you go. Hybrids. Yeah, that's perfect. I was, uh, yeah, I, I just, somebody asked me recently about uh, the popularity of uh, Drive to Survive, you know, the F1 oh, uh, yeah. series on Netflix and how incredibly popular it is. Mm -hmm. Could, could you imagine if F1 said, okay, by the end of the decade or by 2035, we're going to transition from, you know, gasoline or fuel methanol powered uh, F1 cars to, you know, all electric F1, right? The, e, the E1 series or whatever they're calling that series that they have. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think so. I don't think yeah. race fans are going to go that far. I don't think race fans, uh, they love the sound mm -hmm. of an engine. Yeah, it's F1 will, will probably end up being hybrid. You know, they had the capacitors, the, all these different things, but there will always be a screaming exhaust tone yeah. coming out of the back of an F1 car. Now, it may be a one, it may be a one liter four to 12 center, but it will be screaming like a banshee out the back. Yes. And that is part of, the automotive landscape that when you go to a race, you want to smell the fuel, you want to hear it, you want to see it, you want to be emotionally dipped into it, but to have a sterile right. EV running around whining, um, you know, <laughs> like whining like Christian Horner, I just know what, you know. <laughs> I, I just don't see that happening, you know, I just, I mean, the, the racing may be good, the technology is probably pretty impressive, but as a fan, those cars are there. Those cars and those drivers are there to entertain me yep, yep. with their competition. And part of that entertainment, as Stefan said, is the smell, the the reverberation, what you feel in the air, and the sound. The sound is unmatched. You take anybody to a race. It could be an F1 race. It could be a, a drag race. You could take them to a sprint car race for the first time. And and the sound of, of a race car is is just you know it, it that's the emotional uh, attachment and if if you're just watching cars go around silently or with a little whir, hmm. uh, I just don't see people gravitating to that. Yeah, the Formula E series show that that's just people don't come out to watch it. Yeah. No, no, it didn't. It didn't, it didn't work. It, yeah, or it didn't work, and actually reminds reminds me of why the this new demon 170 challenger is going to go for so much money it's 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 loaded with emotions so yeah hey gina we're we're almost at where you are really out of time but um before we let you go i'm really curious uh about one thing because you've had a, an amazing career uh, let me just start by saying you spent some time in sports and you're the only person in the automotive industry i know who's got a super bowl ring <laughs> Yes, that's true, and and not because I was a uh, a great. Uh, you weren't a tight end, a tight end or quarterback. None, none of that. Uh, no, I was a PR guy in the NFL for a number of years uh, with the Los Angeles Rams. Um, we went to the Super Bowl, and uh, even though we didn't win back in Super Bowl fourteen, uh, the the little known fact is even the losing team gets a Super Bowl ring. So. Uh, I have one. I I wear it on occasion. Uh, I call it my three and a half quarter ring because we led uh, after three and a half quarters, and uh, but we would, didn't. Come would out this on be top. one of those occasions that you have that ring on you that you can dazzle us? No, sir. I do not. I'm sorry. Oh, it's in the okay. safe deposit box right now. 
<laughs> but uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah, that was next visit. Any, anyway, so sports and automotive and now JD yeah. Powers. So when you when you think about the long arc of your career, which has been so impressive, Gino, what was your favorite part? Wow. Um saying my bloody slides at uh <laughs> that was it. <laughs> yes, yes, not getting sick when he's showing these uh you know human uh, slides of injuries. I'm like, oh no, please. I think it was the toes. I think it was a, a set of three toes, maybe. Oh Probably. no, perspiring. I'd have to say, um, Steve, that if there was a singular, there's no singular moment or instance or place that I was, but I, I, a singular umbrella uh, statement I could make is I've been blessed to meet and interact with incredibly uh, smart, wonderful leaders in their industries, whether it was um, Pete Rosell, who was the commissioner of the National Football League. Uh, when I was there, you know, he He's the one who set professional sports on the path that all of them are on now in terms of uh, the, the TV contracts and revenue sharing. That that was Pete Rosell, the commissioner of the NFL. You know, some of the owners that I had a chance to meet, the players, um, you know, spending time with race teams with Aston Martin at Lamar, um, you know, Mercedes-Benz, uh, getting to... to spend time with uh, with former Formula One drivers who were contracted with Mercedes-Benz, uh, introducing the Maybach brand. Um, wow, just, I was so fortunate in that regard, uh, getting to play golf and hang out with the likes of Dan Gurney uh, and Reeves Calloway. Hmm. Uh, it was just like, wow, I'm, I'm the luckiest guy on the planet. And, uh, you know, here at J.D. Power, uh, it's, it's been, you know, I got to meet Dave power once when I was at Kia years and years ago, super nice man. Uh, he died just over a year ago. Uh, very, very nice, big family man and had great respect for him and the legacy that he set at this company. Uh, I I've just been so lucky in my life. And, you know, I, I see people on TV and I go, yeah, I met him. And, you know, I got to work with Vin Scully um, you know, Dick Enberg, so, so many great announcers that we all take for granted or that we listened to for so many years. And I'm um, just a lucky guy. So, and now you've been on Cars on Call to pay yeah. And, and one been, of the hailstones that hit that umbrella is getting to meet me and drag me around. So, yes. <laughs> you know, you, you are also, uh, I don't know how, if you've talked about this in previous podcasts, but you are the, the chocolatier unparalleled you know you're an expert in uh, in defining or helping a a, a low uh, a beginner like me identify good chocolate and bad chocolate so thank you for that stefan that's right we just come off that chocolate cruise well gino it's been an absolute joy um to have you on the show lots of great information and wonderful insights your experiences uh is just fabulous in the automotive industry and uh We'll have to have you back on again. There's more to talk about. We, I feel like we ran out of time. We could have gone, could have gone on for a long time. So hopefully you'll come back. Sure. So um, wear the ring. All right. I'll do that, Adam. <laughs> All right. So listeners, like, subscribe, tell your friends. Please uh, have everybody take a listen to our show. And um, we'll listen to you. We'll um, talk with you next week.